ladies and gentlemen. It's great to be here. Good to see you. A very different venue to where uh, you were last time I was here. You know, I just want to give a little bit of a preamble before I start, because I'm going to talk to you today about popular culture and Christianity and the intersection between our faith and what we see on a television screen, our LCD you know, screen for our computer, our big screen, and maybe listen to on our iPod, iPad, or iPhone, is that um, it may come across that I'm down on popular culture. I'm not. I'm a reasonably avid c- consumer of popular culture myself. And as you know, I have spoken on the Da Vinci Code, Narnia, and this year I think I'm speaking in some other places on Batman, which is coming out soon, Twilight, and I'm going to be doing The Hobbit right at the end of the year. So rest assured, regardless of what I have to say about these films and what I'm going to say today, I just want you to be aware that um, I'm really talking about being discerning when it comes to popular culture. I believe God allows popular culture to be something that you and I can partake of and enjoy. There are certainly aspects we might just want to reject out of hand, I would suggest to you. But there are so many areas we can co-opt. And on top of that, we could create popular culture that might influence a generation. I've entitled today's message, The Influences. How popular culture shapes our lives. I don't know if you know this, ladies and gentlemen... But millions and millions of dollars are spent every year on advertising, on making films, producing albums, setting up websites, and what we consume avidly every day, millions of dollars are spent producing it. Now, the reason for this is because the people who spend the millions of dollars know that it's well spent because popular culture affects you and I greatly. I'm going to give you a couple of nice quotes here from authoritative figures in the field. The first comes to us is Carl Sandburg. He's a three times American Pulitzer Prize winner. He won two of them for his poetry. He won one for a biography of one of the great American presidents, Abraham Lincoln. And this is what he had to say about movies. He said, I meet people occasionally who think motion pictures, the product of Hollywood, is merely entertainment and has nothing to do with education. That's one of the darndest fool fallacies that is current. Anything that brings you to tears by way of drama does something to the deepest roots of our personalities. All movies, good or bad, are education, and Hollywood is our foremost educational institution on this planet. I don't know if you know that, ladies and gentlemen, but this is certainly true. It is certainly true. When you go to a movie and you sit there with your Coca-Cola and your popcorn and you're enjoying the entertainment, subliminal messages are being conveyed by the, by the screenplay writer and the people who produce the film that are going in through the eye gate down into the soul realm of human beings. And all the better that it goes down with a bit of sugar in the Coke and the sodium and the butter in the popcorn. And then you get this response of satisfaction as you watch these images. Now, some of these images can be good, but I'm going to suggest to you, do not think that you're just going to see some superheroes. There is always a subliminal message underneath it all that is portraying the values of the screenplay writer. Rest assured of this. Phyllis Dickel, a very famous Christian writer on popular culture and faith, she had this to say about television. I think this is very, very true. 
She said more theology is conveyed in and probably retained from one hour of popular television than from all the sermons that are also delivered on any given weekend in America's synagogues, churches, and mosques. I believe it, ladies and gentlemen. Television is far more influential than your good pastor here. Why? Because you spend a lot more time watching television than listening to Reuben. It's true. I do. Well, I don't actually go to this church, so that's definitely true. But even for you here, that's true for you as well. I want to show some short clips in here um, from it's a series of films and a TV show. So our first one is going to come to us from 1938. So it's a little bit of an oldie, but a goodie. Star- starring a man who was a superstar of his age. Certainly bigger than Tom Cruise, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Tom Hanks combined a regular super, superstar when it came to movies. The second is a short clip from a TV series that was the most widely watched show in the late 1980s into the early 1990s. And then we're going to finish off with the largest selling, best performing independent film in history, Bar the Passion of the Christ. So now you're going to have to stay with us because I've joined all of these clips together. So it's going to be a bit jarring. You know, we're going to have the 1930s, we're going to have the 1980s, bad here. And then we're going to get through to the early 2000s, a little bit more contemporary. And I'm going to then tease out of these clips how they influence their society in some ways, massively, and others less so, but still significant. Let's have a look at these three short clips. Three very short clips from different eras in the 20th century and the early part of the 21st. How do they influence popular culture? Well, firstly, Robin Hood, our man Errol Flynn, was of a habit in these films of being a kind of an early prototype of the Bee Gees. And you can see him up here. Notice how the shirt is widely open, exposing his manly chest, ladies and gentlemen. This was very, very fashionable, even in the 1980s, particularly those people who wore body shirts. I don't know if anyone recalls the body shirt, but that's a shock horror. If ever there was one, nightmares come back to us when we just think about it. Well, our man Errol Flynn, because he did not wear any singlets when he was acting, he created a worldwide fashion trend. And this was was of great problems, of course, to people who made undergarments for men. Jockey International was concerned about Errol Flynn, as they should have been, because when men saw Errol Flynn and his manly chest, and women saw that and they liked that, they said, you know what, I want my husband to be singletless. And the sale of singlets globally went through the floor. Do not tell me you're not influenced in the clothing that you wear by popular culture. You are greatly influenced. The second one that we looked at was, of course, Baywatch, which I would suggest to you no other church in New Zealand this morning had a short (laughs) clip from Baywatch for all kinds of good reasons, ladies and gentlemen, and it may be the reason why I am not ever invited back. But let this be our little secret. Reuben need never know that we showed a portion of Baywatch in here. When it came out initially, the Guinness Book of Records tells us that Baywatch was watched by more people around the world than any other TV series. They say 1.1 billion people in the late 1980s and the early 1990s watched Baywatch every week. The Hasselhoff. 
the heart. I mean, times have changed, haven't they, folks? That's what gravity does to a person. You know, we look at it more recently. There's just a bit of age in there. Now, what did this influence? It influenced attitudes towards body shapes, particularly for women. This show became an incredible study in how people get their appreciation of how they look from popular culture. The islands of Fiji had been largely cut off from Western TV shows. One of the first TV shows to get widespread coverage in the islands of Fiji was Baywatch. Now, an interesting phenomenon took place. Up until the show had been shown in the islands of Fiji, there had been scarcely any reported eating disorders across the islands. Immediately after the screening of the first season of Baywatch, there was a massive increase and reportage in medical centers of bulimia and anorexia as young Fijian women looked at Baywatch and assumed this was the female ideal. Don't tell me that popular culture does not influence our eating habits and the way we feel about ourselves, because it does dramatically, ladies and gentlemen. The final example I want to give you very quickly is, of course, my big fat Greek wedding. This was an independent film, but was seen by 150 million people around the world. The largest grossing independent film before the Passion of the Christ came on the scene. And of course, we know that the father believes that Windex can cure all kinds of skin ailments. Psoriasis, warts, the love of her life, the love, the, the love squeeze in the story. He gets a burn on his hand, and the father grabs his hand and sprays Windex on it, and he's, he, and he's got this expression. You know, what, what are you doing with this Windex? It's a window cleaner, ladies and gentlemen. But that product placement led to an increase in sales of 25%. In the weeks that followed the screening of that film across the world, you are influenced in what you wear, how you perceive yourself, what you eat, buy, and what you buy through popular culture. Just do not tell me it's not so, because all the studies show that we are hugely impacted by this. The question I want to answer this morning is a popular culture does affect us in this manner. Are there other ways it affects us? Is the theology, uh, is the theology and the ideas pouring into our lives beneficial to us as Christians in general society? I'm going to ask this question this morning and try and answer it. How does it affect our morality and our lifestyles? How does popular culture affect our morality and our lifestyles? And I'm going to do this in three areas. I could pick a dozen areas, but these are the three I felt that the Lord wanted me to cover in this message. The first of these is what I call materialism, the belief that an accumulation of goods will make you happy. The Latter-day Prophets that preach to us, that try to proselytize us, they're essentially trying to give us and vibe us with the idea that if you purchase a certain item, that you will be a better person for this, ladies and gentlemen. Early advertising in the first part of the 20th century was largely informational. And if you saw an advertisement in a newspaper, it would have things like, this product has these ingredients, which is superior to this other product, which has these ingredients. 
This product has been rigorously tested, therefore is better than other products. It is more cost effective. It will last longer, and quite often they might have some kind of saying that their product is better than X or Y or Z product. Now, in early advertising, this was what we might call information overload. It was essentially, via informa information, you would rationalize that this is a better product. Now, advertisers and marketers, of which there will be some here, those evil people. But if they're Christian, that's all right. <laughs> what they realized, yes, they've been redeemed. What they realized was that you and I have a stronger, there's a stronger force in human nature than rationality. You say, Adam, that can't be so. It is, and you know it's so. It is your emotions. Your emotions are far more powerful. So what they decided to do was link in their product with an emotion. Not necessarily that the product's better, that these are the ingredients, but guess what? It's associated with this social movement. It is associated with this person. It's associated with this Team, You may have heard of the ABs, ladies and gentlemen. If we could just get a product with the ABs on it, my friends, just by association, you now have an AB water bottle. Yeah, so suddenly you're an all black. You are not. You are still as uncoordinated, as gimpy and as skinny as you ever were, Adam. Just because you have an all blacks power aid bottle does not, but you may think so. You are deluded. You are not. But this is what marketers try to do. They try to get you to feel like you're a member of the team by purchasing. But what they want you to do is to buy their goods. I'll give you just a couple of examples of this, ladies and gentlemen, if I turn this off. My first example, if we could go to the next slide here, sir, just push the down arrow, that would be great. The first example of this comes to us from Air Jordans. Air Jordans cost maybe $250, $300 if it's a brand new pair. They cost about $50 to make in Vietnam, but hey, you know, you've got to have them. Why? Because Michael Jordan is the epitome of sporting achievement. He's the Muhammad Ali of basketball, ladies and gentlemen. And on top of that, he looks pretty cool as well. Do you know what? He can shoot, he can jump, he can dribble the ball, and he can do it with grace, style, and elegance like nobody else ever could. LeBron is really the emperor without the clothes, folks. Not a ring to his name, no matter how great he thinks he is, he will never, never knock the crown off our man here. So when people buy a pair of Nikes, here's what the people who make Nikes want you to believe. You are now part of Team Nike. You have bought an Air Jordan and Jordan's name on it. By association, you and Michael are like this. Tight. I mean, you couldn't even get dental floss between you and Michael Jordan. You're that tight with the brother. You are not. By putting on those Michael Jordans, you cannot run faster, you cannot dribble, you cannot shoot, you still look like a gimp. Talking about myself, and not you, ladies and gentlemen, that would be totally untrue to say that. If we put a basketball in your hand, I'm sure you'd look amazing, especially if you're wearing Air Jordans. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then what the marketers try to do, they try to get you into little tribes, so you belong to the in crowds, all the Nike people. Yeah, we've got the Federer headband. And then they have the Adidas people. Well, I wear the three stripes all day. I dream about sports or whatever the expression is. And then, of course, you've got the people who aren't doing so. They're the Puma people. And so you've got these three. And people say, well, I would only ever wear Nike. I would only ever wear Puma. I would only ever wear Adidas. Do you know what's happened? You actually bought into the lie. You, you've, you've bought, as soon as you start thinking like that, you and I have bought into the lie that those material goods, by association with the Roger Federer, with a tennis racket, 
that we're bought into the Nike team. We're just part of one big... No, you are a consumer that they want to extract money from your wallet. That's what they want, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, Dan Carter is a good example of this. He has the most overexposed armpit in the history of New Zealand sports. You know, they're all sitting there in the, in the changing room. They've all had a big game. They've all showered, and they're all looking pretty cool and ready to go. And then uh, Dan just goes like this. And I'm thinking, not again! <laughs> Do we have to see Dan? We've been, we've been talking about his groin. You know, I couldn't believe that we had it all over the media. And someone said he had the most pristine groin in New Zealand rugby. I was thinking... Am I listening to TV One News here? Come on, folks. Is there something wrong with us? And then we get the armpit. Overexposure, ladies and gentlemen. But guess what? They don't tell you that the, the rec soda will last longer necessarily, that it has these good ingredients for you, that it's, it's green for you. Guess what? It's all emotion tie-in. Suddenly you're an all-black. You're using Rexona. Incredible. Here's what they're trying to do. The idea of today's advertising is by association with a product, you'll somehow be better, cooler, happier. The sell is purely emotional. The main aim of all of this is to make you a consumer by selling you the idea that the purchase of these goods will provide you with great value. This is of tsunami proportions, ladies and gentlemen. They estimate that every teenager in New Zealand views... 3,000 discreet advertisements every day of a working week. 3,000. By the time you're 18, that is going to be 10 million discreet advertisements. It is a tsunami. And what are they telling you? If you just had that Moritz ice cream, you'd feel better. That one's actually true. That one is true. I mean, I mean you, uh, you may regret it later, but that creamy chocolate, I mean, come on, ladies and gentlemen, it does make you, but it's transitory, all right? Just keep on a spiritual level. I can see some of you are already going, I must get a Moritz today. See how gullible you are? As soon as you see that advertisement, I think Moritz time. It's only Moritz time because you saw the advertisement, Adam. You're so weak. I know, Master Yoda, I am weak. I'm heading towards the dark side. Chris Hedges is a, a very famous writer, and he said this about advertising. He said, we consume countless lies daily, false promises that if we spend more money and if we buy this brand or that product, if we vote for this candidate, we will be respected, envied, powerful, loved, and protected. It's all lies. It's all lies. But it is so hard to resist it. Why? Because we receive so much of it. It's on our computers, it's on our television, it's before the movies, it's in the movies with product placement. And we somehow absorb this, that we will get fulfillment as a human being by the acquisition of material possessions. It's not true, ladies and gentlemen. It's just not true. It's a lie to try and sell you products. It's, of course, when it gets out of hand, it breaks one of the Ten Commandments because we end up coveting. And then when we start coveting, we become dissatisfied. In actual fact, we actually are very prosperous here in New Zealand compared to people around the world and nearly every other generation that precedes you. We live in the lap of absolute luxury. And yet we crave more and the advertisers want us to crave more because we will spend it on their goods. Imagine the negative impacts. Of course, if you don't like this message, you could always change your gospel which would be handy, to that if you did acquire a lot of goods, that means God's blessing you. 
I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but that's probably a good little strategy, isn't it? Because then you're buying into popular culture. That if you have more goods, that must be a sign that God's blessing you. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing could be further from the truth. Paul didn't even have a spare coat and had to get somebody to send it to him. Things went massively wrong in his life, but was he in the will of God? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. He was all the way to glory. The real trouble is you and I can fall under this and believe that when we are being blessed because we have material goods, it's not true. If you get into the emotional realm that your well-being is determined by your clothes, your house, your car, or your electronic goods, I'll never be happy until I own the latest iPhone. You are stuffed. That's not a biblical term but it's one I just made up to suit the occasion. You are really, because it's a never-ending evil treadmill that will take any pleasure you have in life away from you because you'll always be looking at the person over the fence saying they have a better car, better suit, a better Moritz ice cream. Do you know you entered this world naked? Most of you are clothed here today, which is very fortunate. I appreciate you coming dressed. <laughs> I do appreciate that so much. You came into this world naked. Strangely enough, the Bible says you leave this world naked. Life is like Monopoly, ladies and gentlemen. You open the box, you pull out the board, everyone gets a little pewter marker or plastic one. And then as you go around the board, you get some money from the bank. You acquire some properties, some utilities. I always get the won the beauty contest card. I think we know why. You acquire some houses if you get a set. Then you might go to motels. You might even win the game, but I've got news for you. When the game's over, the pewter pieces, the plastic little houses and hotels, the cards and the utilities, even the beauty card, all go back into the box. You cannot actually take it with you, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said, for what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? Matthew 16, 6, 19 to 12 21, I should say, Jesus said, Do not lay out for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. My question to you and I today is, where is our heart? It is determined by our treasure, ladies and gentlemen. I want to move quickly on to my next point before I run out of time is immaturism. This itself is not a word. I had to make this up because I wanted to add an ism on the end. Is that okay with you folks? The, lexo- you know, the kind of dictionary people out there who are really concerned about grammar, etc., they'll be raking me over the coals later. It'll be kind of like the Spanish Inquisition. I'll be in a rack. I'll be saying, I know it's not a word. Repent. <laughs> I recant. But we're still going to use this word, ladies and gentlemen. It is the belief that remaining a man, woman, child is desirable. This is so strong in popular culture, an overemphasis on youth. Now, I have no problems with youth. I have a 22-year-old. I have a 21-year-old. I have a, I'm looking at my wife here, I have a 17-year-old. I have a 14-year-old. The other juvenile in the family is me, and I'm 47. (laughs) Don't nod, please, babe. (laughs) A bit of grace, just extend some grace on a Sunday morning. Well... I understand youth. I understand a little bit of youth culture. It is not necessarily, you know, I'm getting a bit older, but I attempt to be somewhat hip. 
Um, when I send uh, emails, I'll, I, will, I can shorten words to, you know, you is just the letter U. Go figure. LOL, lots of love. You know, ruffles, rolling around the floor, whatever. And I, I understand. I'm with your daddy cool. That's right, I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know them. The bomb. Moving right along here. Much of the content of popular culture portrays the ideal as being youthful, consumer-filled, carefree, but also, I would suggest, in some ways, juvenile. Think of Malcolm in the Middle, a show I greatly love. The Simpsons, absorbed with the trivial and vacuous or empty. Young people, in particular, in our modern era through television, films, and music, are encouraged to remain immature in their interests, tastes, and behavior well into their 20s something that never existed in the 1970s, I would suggest, but of more recent times, is juvenile or immature behavior is being extended into a much later period of life. A couple of examples I want to talk about here is something like jackass. Remember, we're not talking to Reuben about what was covered today in church. (laughs) This show features dangerous, crude, ridiculous, these are all my adjectives, self-injuring stunts and pranks. The funny thing about this is some of the pranks are mildly amusing on the odd occasion. They are are mildly amusing. An overabundance of them, though, is just pretty much boring. And I I personally, a little bit, um, I wouldn't say schoolboyish, but okay, so let's just say it. It's it's interesting as a type of genre. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, what happens when people are fascinated by this long beyond their teen years? A general immaturity where men retain the Peter Pan complex. Never growing up, always being a boy, a child. They may shave, they may have a deeper voice, but essentially what you're dealing with is an infant, is an infant in many respects. Most of these, these pranks and kick-ass are at the level of imbecilic but ironically were undertaken by Johnny Knoxville, who when the show last aired in 2002 was 31 years of age. A desperate attempt to remain young. One of my favorite shows is Top Gear. You know, Jeremy, The Mouse, and Mr. Slow. I quite like this show. But other people have commented on this. This is not something I've come up with, but I I do feel it strongly about the show. As much as I love it, and I'll watch it on the odd occasion... It is almost sad to watch men in their 40s, 50s, and Jeremy, who looks like he could be 110. I mean, let's face it, his face does look like the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Try to be as hip and cool and trendy and immature as possible. And in one sense, it's incredibly sad. The older they get, the more desperate they are to be as cool and trendy as possible. I remember one time I got dressed up and I thought I was looking pretty cool and I spoke to my Nick, who was 21 at the time, my oldest son. I thought, you know, I need to get trendy, Mark. I needed to be with the in crowd. And I came out to the lounge and I said, what do you think of this? And and this is what he said. Thank goodness for an honest son. He said, you look like a Gumby. (laughs) He was right. He was right. I got rid of the earrings, the nose stud. No, I didn't go that far. What's taken place is we're at the moment now of seeing a prolonging of adolescent immaturity. What can result from this is with young men and young women flee commitment towards infantile obsessions and a refusal to take on the responsibilities of adulthood. 
things like a job, marriage, the commitment of a family. We're seeing a delay, a generational delay when people get married. Now, sometimes there's very good reasons for that. Other reasons are just not wanting to make a commitment, a wanting to engage in trivial pursuits to the detriment of themselves and other people, I would suggest, in society. The great American theologian Jonathan Edwards found that delay in marriage could have an unsettling effect on young people. And one of my favorite authors, a guy called DeYoung, who wrote an excellent book on the subject of um, finding the will of God, he had this to say about these kinds of delays and what Jonathan Edwards said. He said, the delay in marriage, settling down and having a family, resulted in men who were generally made silly and sinful decisions as 20-somethings tend to do when they have too much time and too little responsibility. I hope you won't be offended by me saying all of this this morning, ladies and gentlemen, but I do think this is the case. This is the case. Not always. I'm making a massive generalization here. But could there be some modicum of truth to this? Some modicum of truth to this. God actually likes maturity. He likes it when we grow up. In fact, it's a major theme of the Gospels and the writings of the New Testament. God talks about us going from milk to solid food. Unfortunately, many young people want to remain, and then many older people who should know better try to jump in at a juvenile or immature level. I do this, folks. I do this. I do. And sometimes it has to be pointed out to me. Sometimes I get it on my own, which is even nicer. I'm not talking about not letting your hair down if you've still got here by the time you reach my age. I think you can cut up, you can party, you can have fun. But when, it's a char- when you're characterized by an immaturity towards responsibility. Jesus one time had the disciples come to him, and the disciples said to him, oh, you know, I want to sit on your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom that's going to come. And Jesus said, he didn't say it like this, but I'm paraphrasing it, grow up. Don't you understand that it's not about being served? but it's about you serving others. It's not about you being served. It's about serving others. I can tell with a young person or even an adult male or female that if they come to church and they want to be served all the time and it's all about them and what's the preacher got from them, the the worship better be good enough today. Bruce, the sound better be on the mark. The PowerPoint better go. Why? Because then I'm disgruntled. What kind of attitude do they have? It's the immature attitude of these two disciples who said, hey, you're here to serve me, so I better be good this morning. Jesus said a sign of maturity is when you and I want to serve. Sandra always has to remind me, Adam, church is not about you. What? (laughs) How come that doesn't work? It's because media is always telling telling me it's about me. But Jesus has a different gospel. Not the gospel of Madison Avenue. It's the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he said it's always about other people. In Ephesians, that we should no longer be children, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. One of my favorite texts is from 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Ladies, we are, gentlemen, we are being swamped in the popular media to be immature. Think about those two ads. Young men, 
chasing after beer and skirt, go to a brewery, young, scantily clad woman, they are mildly amusing. I'm not going to say they're not, but what is the message that is being pushed every time those ads appear? This is what fun is, lads. No responsibility, just goofing around, just goofing off. Alcohol, woman, and being loutish or laddish. One of my favorite ads on TV is to do with the roadies. You know those roadie chips? And those lads in the back of a Holden special. We used to have a car like that, but we never wore the seatbelts. You'd slide across those vinyl seats backwards and forwards as a kid having a great time. But what's the byline at the end of the advertisement? Release the inner man-child. Release the inner man-child. You know what God wants you to release? You're allowed to let your hair down and release the inner man-child every now and then. I love Nacho Libre, Dumb and Dumber, Zoolander, or whatever it might be from popular culture. But seriously, God wants us to grow in maturity, not to become infants. My final point as I move along here rapidly is the idea of moral relativism. This is very popular in culture. The idea that there are no moral absolutes, ladies and gentlemen. Morality, traditionally, in the West at least, derived from the Judeo-Christian principles encapsulated in the Ten Commandments, did it not, and the teachings of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. However, in the last five decades, we've seen a rapid abandonment of that morality and its objective power. In the first instance, the voices and songs and images that you and I see of a regular time in popular culture usually argue with Christianity, condemn Christianity, mock Christianity as outdated, fuddy-duddy, old-fashioned, uncool, unhip, unwithit, narrow-minded. Have I said enough here, folks? If we want to know more, just phone up John Campbell or someone like that in the popular media, and they'll give you their, their impressions of what they think of Christianity. It is all over the media. A vague spirituality, which could include Hinduism, Wicca, animal worship, pantheism, polytheism, as long as it's not Christianity, Mark. You are cool, you are in, particularly if you're into Zen Buddhism. Wow, just like the Dalai Lama, he laughs a lot. Well, <laughs> I laugh a lot too. But as long as it's not Christianity, everything is all right. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to suggest to you that the God of Christianity is out. In one episode of The Simpsons, Bart, the son of Homer, asks his father what his religious beliefs are. This is what Homer replies, and I would think this is a pretty much a good estimation of how Christianity is, to play, is, to, is portrayed in popular culture. And you just have to think about the Reverend Lovejoy and, of course, Ned Flanders and his children, how they're portrayed in this TV series, which I think is actually a pretty sharp critique of modern society, but also is not the best when it comes to religion on the negative side. He asks his father about this, and this is what Homer has to say. He said, you know, the one with all the well-meaning rules that don't work in real life. Adult Christianity. Ancient paganism is gaining ground in modern society. It's emerged everywhere. The singer Bjork, I have a couple of her songs on my iPod. Army of Me, Oh So Quiet. She's a quirky, eclectic singer. But her views on religion are interesting, ladies and gentlemen. This is what she had to say, and it's very, very common. 
She said, I've always thought religion was really dodgy. <laughs> I think I'm a... She sounds like she's a Westie, doesn't it? She's really dodgy. I think I'm a pagan. I believe in nature. Wow, good luck with that. You know, I, I believe in nature. As popular prophets reject God, we slip into moral relativism. A recent Barna survey asked Americans if they believed in absolute truth. 76% of Americans said they did not believe in absolute truth. Where did they get that idea from that there was no absolute truth, ladies and gentlemen? It was from popular culture. They did not get it from the Bible. So who's having a, more, a greater influence on Western society? The Bible, Reuben and church, my pastor, the elders here, the musicians? No. Who has a greater influence on what you believe and think is, of course, the musicians, the movie makers, and the TV producers in the world. Popular culture since the 1960s has overwhelmingly portrayed immoral behavior as normal. And quite often, without oversight from God, God's not looking over anyone's shoulder, and there are no consequences. Unbelievable. I mean, how many times in these movies or shows can you sleep around without con contracting a, a sexually transmitted disease? Without any unwanted consequences, ladies and gentlemen. Dick Staub is a great author. He wrote the book called The Culturally Savvy Christian, and this is what he had to say about this, the way morality is portrayed in popular culture. He said, in entertainment culture, sexually promiscuous people rarely ever contract STDs or get pregnant, and the aim of romance is to get laid. Of course, in reality, folks, it is very, very different. This year in New Zealand, we will probably lead the world again in unwanted teenage pregnancies. Well, where did those young people get the idea that sleeping around would have no consequences? Where do you think? Do you know that in the next 12 months, of the 100% you know, of, of people who will contract an STD, 25% of them will be under the age of 24 years of age. Most of them teenagers. Well, where did they get this idea that there would be no consequences? They got the idea from popular culture, ladies and gentlemen. Have you and I fallen into this trap? In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said this about the people who encourage people to live a life of immorality. He said, but whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he surely reap. What the media is telling you is there are no consequences. But what every parent and every person who's lived for a few decades knows, there are always consequences for our actions. What's happened to us folks? Ouch. Because I believe that many of us, even as Christians, fall for this. How could you not? How could you not? You'd have to be on a desert island not to be influenced in some manner by materialism, by this moral relativism, and by immaturism. I think that many of us fall for these false prophets of modern culture. How do I know this? Because studies show this. Born-again Christians spend an average of seven times more hours each week watching television than they do participating in spiritual pursuits such as Bible reading, prayer, and worship. They spend roughly twice as much money on entertainment as they donate to the church, and they spend more time surfing the internet than they do conversing with God. A young man who was having trouble 
with his life, wanting to be a good Christian, wanting to live his life in a way that was glorifying to God, fell and failed so many times that he decided to go visit a holy man. And he went and saw this holy man. And and the holy man said, what's the problem? He said, the things I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. What is the solution to this problem? And the holy man started to ask him about his life. And he said, why is it? He said, said, give me a visual illustration of this. How does it feel inside you? He said, it's like two dogs. Two dogs fighting inside me. But the bad dog always seems to win. And the holy man said, why do you think that is? And the young man said, I feed the bad dog more than I feed the good dog. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to suggest to you that what we need to do, if I could have my next slide up here as we finish off with this, you and I need to feed the right dog. The scripture tells us, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do what you do not want to do, and you cannot do the things that you wish to do. Why is it, folks? that so often we live in defeat. I've found in my own life, it's because not that popular culture is on many occasions necessarily bad, but an overconsumption of these values can greatly affect me and my spirituality. And what we should be as Christians is we should be very careful about what we allow our children to watch, and we should be very concerned about our overconsumption because it can lead us astray. I'm going to finish with a word of prayer here as we go into worship. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the clarity of your word. Lord, that you really want us to look to your kingdom, store up eternal treasures that's centered around relationships with people and with you, not with material goods. That, Lord, you love us when we have a childlike faith, but in actual fact you want us to grow into maturity, into the fullness of Christ. And that, Lord, that sometimes our moral relativism has not been picked up from you because you are holy and pure, but because we are absolutely drenched and drowning in popular culture. Lord, help us to flee to you, to cling more closely to your word. Lord, we love you. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.